Have you ever felt like you were stuck in a rut? I don't mean a rut in a road like the guy in the picture, but I mean like a spiritual rut. I know that I have, and in fact, I have kind of felt this way all week long. It really kind of started about a, a month ago, but it really hit me hard Sunday, in the middle of Sunday school of all things. I'm not sure why at that time it did, but it, it just did. Um, I didn't think the lesson went all that bad, but then Jackie did go home with a sick stomach, so maybe it was worse than I thought it was. Um, but I just sort of felt stuck. And I dare to say that we've all felt that way at various times in our lives. Right, there may even be some tonight that you came tonight and you feel stuck spiritually. It may be that you feel stuck in a rut of sin, feel like you can't break free from one particular sin, you're tempted by it on a constant basis and you just can't seem to resist it. You give in to it far more than you're able to turn away from it and do what you know God would have you to do. It could be a rut where you feel like your relationship with Jesus has stagnated, the zeal and excitement that was once there has long since passed away, and your relationship with Jesus is more habits and duty than it is zeal and love for the Lord. Uh, it may be that you're stuck in a rut where you feel there's not really any spiritual growth in your life. Spiritually speaking, you're, you're like the Bible describes the Lord, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right? You know you should be growing and changing, but you just don't see it happening in your life and you haven't for quite a while. There are any number of spiritual ruts that we could be in, but the result is always the same. You know the changes that you want to make, and you want to be made in your life. You can sometimes even see the place that you want to be in your life. But you're stuck in a rut that you just can't seem to get out of. You've tried every trick you know to get out of the rut. But all of those things have failed. Now the problem is that the longer we stay in the ruts. The, the harder it is for us to get out of them. Right? I mean the longer we stay there. The more comfortable we become there. And the more that we try to get out and fail the more we begin to say, well, this is just the way that it is. right? When we try and we fail, we give up and we accept that this is the way it will be and this is the way that it will always be. And that mindset that this rut I'm in is the best it will ever be, it's a very common mindset. However, it is not a biblical mindset. right? In, in reality, it is a satanic stronghold in our mind. Right, 2 Corinthians 10, Paul talks about strongholds that are built up in our mind. And a stronghold in our mind is nothing more than when we accept as unchanging something that is clearly contrary to God's will. So anytime I believe something and I say that this is the way it is and this will never change no matter what it is and it's contrary to God's will, that is a satanic stronghold that has been built up in my mind. Right, And when it comes to being in a a rut. I thought about that this week. What Jesus said in John 10 and 10. We talked about this last week. That He came to give life and life more abundantly. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus comes to have life and life more abundantly. The life in a rut is a life of where something is stolen. right? Something has been killed and things are being destroyed. That is not the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. So when we're discouraged, when we're stuck in a rut... That is not the abundant life from Jesus. So it's not what we're going to do. So we're going to depart from our study in Ezra for this week so that we can learn some practical tips to get out of whatever rut we found ourselves in. Now we aren't really going to look at one particular passage because there's not any one passage that just says this is how you get unstuck. Instead, we're kind of going to go all over the place right, and look at several different things. I found 
There were several. I had many things that I thought of that would help us to get unstuck. But there were three that I think are primary, the most important. But before we get to those, the main idea, the main point, is that I have to put forth intentional effort to get out of my spiritual rut. Now that may seem pretty obvious. But it's really important. Because more often than not, we take a very passive approach to getting out of our ruts. Right? We... We keep doing the same things that we've always done. We keep going in our rut. We, we hope it'll just get better. We, we really don't take a very aggressive and an active approach to get out of our spiritual rut. And that sort of passivity will not deliver us from our ruts. If we want to get out of whatever spiritual rut we have found ourselves in, we must put forth intentional effort. So that we can get out of it. Uh, and I want to show you three actions to take tonight. That will help us to get out of our rut. First is to seek God's help first. Seek God's help first. Now to say to seek God's help first is obvious. But it's also a very necessary statement. It's obvious because in our minds we all know that we are not going to get out of our spiritual rut without God's help. But it's still a necessary statement because rarely, I mean, if we're being honest, rarely do we go to God first to get out of our spiritual rut. I mean, if you're anything like me, if you find yourself in a rut or feeling like you're falling into a rut, you begin to, to start fighting against it on your own without seeking God's help. Right? We begin to look to some sort of natural means that we can pull ourselves up. Right? Maybe we listen to music. Right, that will, that either fits our mood or kind of enhances our mood for the moment. Right, we, we try to escape the reality of our rut by reading a book or watching a show or watching a movie. Or we seek to get away from it for a while. We think if I just go on a vacation and go somewhere else and spend some time there, that will get me out of my rut. We take a nap. We eat comfort food. We, we do all of these things. That we think will help us. And these aren't bad things. They're not wrong things for us to do. And what the, but the problem is, is that they do seem to help for a while. Right? If I'm watching a TV show and I escape into that, I don't think about the rut I'm in. And for a period of time, everything's okay. But eventually the show ends. And I come back to the real world and I'm still in my rut. Right? And it can be the same with any of We go on a vacation. We go away. And we get away. And while we're away, we don't think about our rut. Because we're doing whatever the things we want to do. And we're away from it. But the vacation ends. And then we come back. And we're right back in the same rut that we were in before. But all of these physical things, they only provide at best a, a temporary forget of the issue. But they never really provide a long-term fix. They never help us to get out of the rut. And then what often happens, again, if you're like me, after all of these things have failed, then you go to God and you begin to pray and seek God's help. But how different would things be if we started there at seeking God's help to get out of our rut rather than waiting until all of our efforts and the natural means failed? I think one reason that we don't often... Seek God first so that we don't always know what the issue is. 
Because, again, depending on what your rut is, but I know with me, when I do feel myself falling into this rut or discouragement or whatever, I, I, sometimes I can pinpoint and say it's this thing. Right? It's this issue, it's this mindset, it's this thing. But there are sometimes I just know that I'm in a rut, but I don't know how I got there. I don't know why I'm there. And I can't pinpoint any specific issue. And maybe you're like that. You just wake up one morning and just you feel like you're in a rut. And, and like I said, I have for the past month or so kind of felt it in the back of my mind that it was coming. But it was it was literally I was teaching the Sunday school lesson. And right in the middle of the lesson, it was just like my the wheels of my car went. And I mean, I felt it happen all at once. And there was why? I don't have any idea. No idea what happened to cause it. And I think a lot of times we're like that. Just that sort of spiritual blah sets in. And we don't know why it's happened. We don't know what has caused it. And since we don't know what has happened or what has caused it, we often think there's something natural rather than seeing it as something that is spiritual. And as long as we see it, think it's a natural issue, we will look for a natural fix. I just need a vacation. I just need a nap. I just need my comfort food. I just need to escape a little while. And what we have to do is realize spiritual ruts always have a spiritual cause. And anything that has a spiritual cause requires God's help. No natural thing will lift us up out of a spiritual rut ever. It may numb the pain. It may cause us to forget for a period of time. It may make us feel good while whatever it is that's going on is going on. But eventually that all passes. God alone is our help to get out of a spiritual rut. And so when we're in a rut and we don't know what to do, we don't know how to get out of it, I think we pray, we seek God's help. And one of the prayers that I think is the best to pray is the prayer from Psalm 139. Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Pretty familiar prayer from the Psalms. And it can be a a great model for our prayers to show us how to get out of our run. Now when we pray this prayer, we read this psalm, there's actually four prayers that we can pray from this psalm. Right there is, first he says, search me. Right when we pray for God to search us, we're not just praying for God to search any old thing. We're praying for God to search our hearts. And that's important. Because in Scripture, the heart is the, the center of our being. Right? In, in our culture, the heart is the center of the emotions. But in the Bible culture, the biblical world, the heart is the center of really everything. What's in the heart comes out of the mouth. As you think in your heart... So you are. What we, what's in our heart comes out in our life. Right? So what we're doing is we, when we pray, God, search my heart, we are asking Him to aim the, the searchlight of His holiness, of His omniscience, into the innermost part of our hearts and expose whatever's there. To show us, is there anything in my heart that is not right with you? Is there any part of my life, anything in my heart that is not what you would have it to be? 
We're asking God to search our hearts and to honestly show us the good and the bad as to what's there. The condition of our heart plays a huge part in getting us in and out of ruts. And so we need God to search our hearts. We also pray for God to test me. He says, try me and know my thoughts. Now, a, a test me prayer, it invites God to perform a critical evaluation of our thoughts. And I think when we talk about God testing our thoughts, there are two areas of our thought life that we need God to test. One is our focus and the other is our motives. Right? Our our focus is what we consistently think on. You know, the Bible tells us what we're to think on. Right? Like Philippians 4, 4.8, think on things that are true and noble, just and pure. Colossians 3.2 says to set our minds on things above, not things below. What we think on on a regular basis will play a huge part in getting us into the rut and getting us out of the rut. Because how we think will determine where we go, what we do, how we feel. I mean, our thoughts even determine our feelings about something. So we say, God, test my thoughts. What am I focusing on that could be leading me into this rut? Now, our motives, of course, are the reason why we do what we do. The reality about our motives, the reason we need God to test us, is because... I'm the only one who knows what my motives are. I could fool you with my motives on any number of things. You would never know, but God would know. And, and why I do what I do, that will also matter. Right? That will also, and I think we can, I think at times we can even fool ourselves. Right? We can say, well, I'm doing this because I love the Lord. And in reality, what we've done is we've kind of drifted a little bit and we're doing it because we're supposed to. And I mean, doing it because we're supposed to is good, but that's not best. Remember the Ephesian church? They did all the right things, but they had left their first love. I really kind of think that was a shock to them to hear that. I think sometimes we need God to, to search our thoughts, to, to test our thoughts and our motives to show us. You're not doing it out of love. You're doing it. Because you have to. You're doing it because you're concerned of what other people will think. You're, you're doing it for whatever reason. But our motives, why we, we do what we do, will also play a huge part of getting us in a rut and getting us out of the rut. Right? So when we, pray, when we pray for God to test our thoughts, we're asking Him, show me what I'm focusing on that's leading me in. Show me what I'm focusing on to lead me out. Check my motives. Are my motives leading me there? Right? Because our thoughts play a huge part in setting the course of our lives. And our thoughts can surely lead us into a rut. The next one is, is break me. And the psalmist says, uh, and if there's any grievous way in me. right? He, he wants God to show him if there is anything in his life that is not pleasing to God. Now the part of the implication with this is that the psalmist wants to know so that he can change. Right? He doesn't want God to just say, this is wrong, and him go, oh, okay, well, that's fine. Right? There is an element in which he wants to be broken over what God is broken by. What is, what is your attitude about things in your life that are not the way God would have them to be? 
But is, is it something you say, well, that's just how I am? That's just who I am? That's just what I do? That's just the world we live in? Or is there a brokenness in you over something in your life that is not what God would have it to be? But if there is something in our life that is not as God would have it to be, we need to go beyond asking God to say, show me that. To saying, God, break my heart over that. If you ever read Psalm 51, then you know what it looks like to be broken over your sin. I was reading that as part of my Bible reading yesterday. And that's all, all that prayer. David has been confronted with his sin. And it's just, God, I've sinned. It's all my fault. Forgive me because of your grace and because of your goodness. Don't take away your Holy Spirit. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. I mean, there's never any justification. There's never any, it's not that big of a deal. All of it is, God, you're right. And I'm wrong. Completely broken. Change my heart, oh God. And that's what we want to pray. God, break me. Where my attitudes, my actions, my life is out of sync with you. Break my heart over it and bring me to a place of genuine repentance. Because sin is one of the ruts we can get into, what can cause us to get into the rut. And a lack of brokenness over our sin, a justifying of our sin, it'll absolutely get us into a rut and we can't get out until we're broken over our sin and we repent of it. And then finally, lead me. The last part of the psalmist's prayer is lead me in the way everlasting. Now, praying for God to lead us, it has a lot of implications. It means praying for Him to lead you to do the thing, to get the things out of your life that are displeasing to Him. It means praying for Him to lead you to do exactly what He would have you to do in any given situation. And part of it is that we're willing to surrender to do His will. That's the biggest thing, I think, of a lead me prayer. If I'm praying, God, lead me. What I have to be willing to do is follow wherever that leading is. I think that's the biggest thing about praying for God to lead us. I think God is far more willing to lead us than we are willing to be led. Because for many times what we, what we want is we say, God, lead me. And we have these three or four things over here. God, lead me to do this or this or that. And God says, I want you to do that. And we're like, no, no, that wasn't one of my selection. Lead me here in these things that I want to do. And God says, no, I want you to do this thing that I want you to do. And a lead me prayer requires submission to say, God, here's just a big open life before me. And what you want me to do, I'm going to do. If you want me to get this thing out of my life, I'm getting it out of my life. If you want me to add this thing to my life, I'm adding it to my life. If you want me to go here, I'm going here. Whatever you want me to do, that's what I'm going to do. There is an element of submission to the will of of God, whatever that will may be, that is necessary in seeking to be led by the Lord. God absolutely knows the way out of our rut. And our unwillingness to follow Him, it will leave us trapped in that rut until we follow God's way and follow Him out. If you're caught in a rut that you can't get out of, start your intentional effort to get out of the rut by seeking God's help, asking Him to search you, test you, break you, and lead you. And when you pray these, be ready, because God, I believe, always answers these. I cannot point to a single time in my life where I have earnestly prayed these and God has not shown me something that needs to be done in my life. 
If you're really serious about wanting to get out of your rut, then seek God's help first. Secondly, reject spiritual complacency. When I was stationed at Fort Campbell in the 101st Airborne Division, we typically went to the woods uh, for training for 30 to 45 days at a time. We did this whether it was summer, winter, fall, or spring. Seasons did not matter. It just mattered whether or not it was our time to go to the woods. Now, when you spend 30 to 45 days in the Tennessee and Kentucky hills uh, with 100 degree plus weather and 100% humidity, walking up and down those hills, wearing all of your heavy gear, uh, something begins to happen to you. You stink. You stink bad. And, and there's no getting around it. I mean, it's just, of course, when everybody stinks, it's not as bad, but you stink. Now, if you're lucky, you might get one field shower in 30 days. Uh, but really, it doesn't do much because you're, you're just really nasty and you don't have time. You've got a very limited amount of time to take your shower. So at best, all you do is get to feel cold or cool water rushing over your body. Then you put your, all your funky clothes back on and move on down the road. Uh, but when we came in from the woods, we were released for the day. Our first time back in the barracks that night. We had a routine that we went through. I mean, it was the same thing every time, the whole time I was there. Right? You, you take off your dirty clothes and you pile them in the corner. You take a shower or two until you get yourself clean and you get all the, the camo makeup off of you and the smell off of you. You put on clothes that aren't camouflage and don't say army or anything remotely military about them. And then we went to a local steak place that was just right off post and we ate. We ate... A big steak, a big baked potato, and a big order of shrimp cocktail. Same meal every time. By the time we finished eating that, we were stuck because it was a huge meal. Then we'd go back to our common area in our barracks. The way our barracks were set up is on each floor there were four rooms. One here, one here, one here, and one here. Then in the middle was our common area that had some furniture in it for us to set on. And then we would sit down on our furniture, and that's all that we did. We just sat and talked about how full we were. How good it felt to be clean. How glad we were to be in civilian clothes instead of camis. And we, we called that being fat and happy. That was our mindset. We were fat and happy at that point. Now at that point we had very little motivation to do anything at all. Our minds were focused on how good it felt to be clean, to be full, and to be comfortable. Now if we're not careful, something similar can happen to us in our spiritual lives. We get saved. We surrender our lives to the Lord and He begins to make some real and legitimate changes in our hearts and in our lives. But then as He's beginning to change us, we reach a point where we get comfortable. And we are comfortable at this place in our spiritual lives. We are, we are clean. We are changed. And we are plenty comfortable in the way that we are. Uh, and spiritually speaking, what we are, we have allowed ourselves to get fat and happy. We're just, uh, I like where I'm at spiritually. I'm comfortable here. I feel good here. There's a lot of change from where I was. This is all. I'm going to stay here for a while. Now, the thing about staying here for a while is, that's what a rut is. A rut is when we've stopped moving forward and we've just kind of sat down and gone in that same direction. The reality is we cannot allow ourselves to get comfortable in our spiritual lives. Comfort leads to complacency. Complacency leads to apathy. And apathy is just this great big rut that is really hard to get out of. When we are apathetic and we are comfortable and we are complacent, our lives never change. We really 
Now this doesn't mean we live sin. Now don't hear me. This doesn't mean we go off in wicked sin. It doesn't. It just means we don't move forward. Right? We probably still come to church. We probably still read our Bibles. But we don't get as much out of it as we once did. We don't leave the Word thinking, okay, I need to change this and I'm changing the way I think and I need to change how I believe and I need to stop this and start that. It's not really bringing any sort of change into our life. We we may see that change needs to happen, that we're not right, but we're just like, no, I, I like where I'm at. And we become experts at explaining why our lives are not changing. Why we are not moving and becoming more and more like Jesus. Why we are the same yesterday, today, and forever. When we are comfortable and complacent and apathetic, we dismiss anything that challenges our comfort or our complacency out of hand. Right? It, it, we don't... It's just, oh, I see what you're saying. I, that's just not the way I believe. Oh, that's just... I, I, think the, I think the world was different then. I think if you look at the Greek, what Jesus was really saying was... We have all of these reasons why we don't have to conform our lives to Scripture. But what we have to do is we have to reject that mindset. We cannot let it sink into our minds. Because the goal of the Christian life is not that we would be comfortable. It's not that we would be complacent. It's not that we would be at rest. Scripture teaches there is no rest until we are like Jesus. Paul says, but we all with an unveiled face are beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, notice that there is this constant being changed to the same image from glory to glory. But to be like Jesus is the goal. We look at Jesus and then we're being changed more and more. Until we're like Jesus. In the army when you first show up to. You make it through the first half of your basic training. You go to your advanced individual training. They issue you your dress uniform. Because they don't, they don't give you that until you, they're sure you're going to graduate. They give you your dress uniform. And when it comes they give you a set of brass. The brass on one side says U.S. The brass on the other side has some sort of physical representation of your branch of the army. For the infantry, it was a set of crossed rifles. Now, it's made out of brass, so it's kind of shiny, but it's also kind of dull because there's this lacquer over it. Because the army's the army, that dull shine, it's not good enough. You also then are taken to the PX, and you go and you buy Brasso, and then you buy a rag. And your job, from the day you get issued that brass until the day you die, is to shine your brass. Right? You, you shine it and you get that lacquer off of there. And then you shine it some more to keep it shiny. And then when it's shiny enough, you shine it just a little bit more. And it is a constant process of shining and re-shining your brass. And the way that you know your brass is going to be shiny enough to pass inspection is when it looks like a mirror. When you look at it and you can see yourself in it, your brass will probably pass inspection. Now, that is kind of the picture in 2 Corinthians 3 and 18. When we come to Christ, the Lord begins to shine us, to knock the lacquer off, to make it so that we're clean, 
that that stuff is taken away. And so that the, the dull image of Jesus that is already there just because we're humans and because now we've been born again, that that dull image becomes shiny. And that when He looks at us, what He sees is His reflection in our lives. He shines us and He polishes us until our values and our priorities, our attitudes, our actions, our reactions, our thoughts and our desires perfectly reflect Jesus. That's the idea of going from glory to glory. Become more and more like Him. And until we perfectly reflect Jesus in all of those ways, there is no rest. There is no stop. There is no... I'm satisfied because there's always more work to be done. There's always more shine that can be added to our lives. So if we want to to fight against the whatever rut that we're in, then we do have to check, am I become spiritually complacent? Am I satisfied with where I am? Or have I rejected that and I'm continually moving forward? I'm trying to be changed from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. If we want out of our rut, we must reject spiritual complacency. And then the final one is recommit myself to spiritual growth. Once we've rejected spiritual complacency, we do have to recommit ourselves to spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is God's will for each and every believer. And it's like with sanctification. There's not an end in sight. We we grow and there's always more to grow. Now there's a lot that we could talk about with spiritual growth, but we don't have time for all of that. I, I just want to look at one passage. Turn to Second Peter three. No, I'm sorry, Second Peter one. I'm going to start in verse three. It's page nine thirty eight in your pew Bibles. I, I love this passage. And I would like to go into deep time with it, but we don't have time. I just want to point out a few things from verses 3 through 10. First in verse 3 and 4. As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. Now there's a lot there. But there's just a little bit I want us to see. That God has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So as a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a disciple of Christ, at this moment, you have all things that you need for life and godliness. That through our knowledge of Him, our relationship with Him, we have that. We've also been given exceedingly great and precious promises so that through them we can partake of the divine nature, become like Jesus, and we can escape the corruption that is in this world. Now the the point for us tonight is that you and I as believers, we can grow spiritually. That there is nothing that needs to be added to us as a disciple of Jesus to make it so that I can grow. You and I, we can. Always. The disciple of Jesus can always escape the corruptions in the world. Can always live a life of godliness. Can always add to their faith. Because we have everything that we need. It's already within us. The Holy Spirit that lives within us, the Bible that we have in our hands, the promises that have been given to us, we have what we need. 
Right? So we can grow. Now, secondly, I want you to notice what he says in verse 5. For this very reason. Right? So because we have everything that we need, there's something we're to do. Give all diligence to add to your faith. Now, some translations say, make every effort. Same idea. The point is, spiritual growth isn't automatic. Just because we have what we need in order to grow spiritually does not mean we're going to grow spiritually. Now, that I think is important because spiritual growth isn't a matter of, I've been a Christian for 10 years. Someone can be a Christian for 10 years and make absolutely no progress in their faith at all. They cannot grow. And then someone can be saved a year and have given all diligence to add to their faith and they will be far more spiritually mature than a person who's been a Christian for 10 years. But it's not a matter of how long you've been saved. It's not automatically added to our faith. We must give all diligence to add to our faith. And I like what he says. Add to our faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, perseverance godliness, for Godless brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, love. Here, I'm just going to tell you the way I, th- I think this is a cycle. These things are a cycle. Right? I don't think we, we arrive at love and it's boom, I've settled, again, I've arrived. I think we, we add virtue, we add that morality, biblical morality a bit to our life. But then we need to know more so we add knowledge. And that knowledge produces self-control. And that self-control produces perseverance to keep on. That produces godliness. That makes us, then we begin to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Then we begin to love other people more. But then what happens? There's, well, there's more virtue. Because God then says, okay, you've mastered these things a little bit. But what about this area of your life that you need to fix? Oh, there's more virtue I need to work on. Which means I need to know more. Which needs, I need more self-control. Which needs, I'm going to be godlier. I'm going to persevere more. I'm going to be godlier. I'm going to love my brothers in Christ more who are helping me along the way. And then I'm going to love others more. Now, I think love is the ultimate test. Because the reality is, love is the hardest one on the list. Brotherly kindness, loving brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, that is difficult. I'm not going to lie. But love, the agape love, that's not just... Your mom and your dad, your wife and your kids, your fellow, your church members. That's where Jesus gets up to the point of love your enemies. I mean, he says love, not like them, not tolerate them, love them. Have we, have you and I, have we arrived at the whole love your enemies thing? I haven't. Just sadly to say, I haven't. So there's more to grow. And it's just a cycle. We, we go through and we hit some and then it starts over and we go through. It's just this constant cycle. Of spiritual growth. And we have to give all diligence to add these things to our faith. And then thirdly, it says, For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in knowledge of the Lord Jesus. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he is cleansed from his old sins. And here's the, the key part for us. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. When we make every effort, we understand what we have in Christ. We make every effort to add to our faith. And we consistently add these things to our faith. Peter says, then then we will never stumble. Now that doesn't mean we will never stumble into sin. It's not the point. We do stumble into sin. Peter will talk about that. The picture is that we we don't fall away. It will help us to stay out of the rut. Because the Christian life 
You don't get to stay still. That's why one reason complacency is such a problem. We don't get to a spot and stop and stay there. Growing in Christ's likeness is like walking up a down escalator. When you stop the moving forward, you start the going back. When you stop going forward in Christ and adding to your faith, you don't stay at that level of maturity. You don't stay at that level of godliness. You then, over time, you begin to drift back a little bit. And before long, you'll find somebody who at one point was godly, was devoted, was faithful to Jesus, and now they're not. Maybe they're drifting away from the faith. Maybe they're doing ungodly things. Maybe they're saying things you just can't imagine they would have said these years ago. What happened? They stopped going forward. They started drifting back. But we, we have to always commit ourselves to spiritual growth. Because again, unless we love perfectly as Jesus said we're supposed to love, there's more. There's more. This cycle is continually going. There's more we don't know. There's virtue that God wants to produce in our life. There's areas of self-control that need to be developed. Perseverance, we need to have more godliness. All of these things. So we must commit ourselves to constantly moving forward. Constantly adding to our faith. Because when we stop, we go back. And that's often when we find ourselves in a rut. Stop moving forward and we just kind of poop. Now we're there. And the only way out is forward. So tonight, are you are you stuck in a rut? If so, are you ready to put forth the intentional effort needed, required to get out of your rut? If so, start by seeking God. Ask God to search you, test you, break you, and lead you. Reject all feelings of spiritual complacency and recommit yourself to spiritual growth. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you tonight. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Father, tonight we we do not want to fall into a rut and stay there. Father, I do not want to stay in a rut. I do not want to stagnate. I do not want my relationship with you to be anything but zealous and passionate. So, Father, tonight we start just by asking you to search us. Search our hearts and see what's there. Show us if there is anything in our hearts, God, That is not what you would have it to be. Test our thoughts. What are we thinking on? On a regular basis. When when all is quiet and it's just us. Where do our thoughts go? Test our motives. Why do we do the things that we do? Father break us. Lord, if there is anything in our lives that is not pleasing in Your sight, God, give us Your heart that we would be broken over it and lead us to deep and genuine repentance. Not hopelessness, not condemnation, but a repentance that turns from that thing, turns to You and would lift us up out of the rut. 
and then lead us. Lord, if there's any here tonight that's in a rut, Lord, You know the way out for me and for everyone else. You show us. God, we'll go where You want us to go. We'll do what You want us to do. We'll believe what You want us to believe. We'll say what You want us to say. Have Your way in our hearts and in our lives and all things. We ask in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen.